yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle, and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective, and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Land Rover. Whether you're headed to a match or a weekend away, there's plenty of space for your team and their gear in the new Discovery Sport. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast in association with Land Rover. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined in studio, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, how are we? I'm very good, thanks. I'm glad to have Keen Tracy finally back in studio once again. Keen, welcome right, back. Lads. Wasn't thanks. the same without you, Keen. No, we've missed you. <laughs> thanks for having me back. We've missed yeah. it. No, I gave you the requisite 24 hours notice this time, so we were able to pin you down. No, I wasn't. I was, I was a hard man to catch, but I'm back now. Good to be back. Thanks for having me in again. Yeah, no, it's an interesting week. Obviously, England on the horizon this weekend. Uh, we have a very busy show. We're going to be talking a little later on to former England fullback Ben Foden, who's having a very interesting adventure over in New York now, playing in the Major League Rugby. So we're going to chat to him about all things kind of rugby in America, as well as how things are shaping up in Eddie Jones and maybe look back at Leinster Northampton in the 2011 Highland Cup final now, if we have time. I want to pretend, I've got to pretend yeah. I wasn't involved or yeah. in any it's way had any input into this. media stitch up you know that we're going to get him with. Listen you lead I'll follow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Keen, um, the Irish team has not been named officially as yet but you're such a you know traditional news sound that you've already you know sourced it for us um, only we think we yeah we think we're on a ladder over the fence in Carton House out in Abbottstown now that's where we that's where we oh, do hide sorry, the trees yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's not much I guess talking points it's just Caitlin Doris going to come in on the bench in terms of Max Deegan but uh, you know how do you think Ireland are set you know, ahead of this weekend, there does seem to be, we were just chatting earlier, a good bit of optimism now. Maybe it'll come back to bite us, but, you know, considering the last time they played in Twickenham, they conceded what it was a 55 points plus. Um, it does seem that they're primed for a good performance this weekend. Yeah, I think cautious optimism, I think, would be. I think there's lots of reasons why I would be cautiously optimistic. Um, like, I still don't think Ireland probably got a lot of credit for how they've played over the first two weeks. I thought there was a massive step up in what they did from that Scotland game into the Wales game. I think there's another couple of steps to go within them. I think, you know, you mentioned the team being in a position to name an unchanged team with very few injuries. Obviously, Gary Ringrow's been the main one is absolutely massive. And they have a, quite a settled squad now. It looks like Caelan Doris will come back onto the bench. But you have, like, the old guard who've played their way back into form now. And, like, I've definitely been someone who's been 
banging the drum of let's pick players on form and I think Andy Farrell like, is, is doing that with, with picking O'Mahony I would like to see Doris getting a start I think we might see that in the Italy game but I think it's hard to argue if that's the way he's going to go if you look at then England I mean they're having their own problems as well it, the news today that Maku Vunapola is going to miss out I think is huge I mean you think back to what he did to Ireland in the Six Nations so it was good, one of the yeah. best performances I've ever seen Tackling like, just incredible, incredible. Yeah. he's a massive loss Billy Vunapola is a massive loss it looks like Tuilagi is going to play but who knows how fit he is um and I think without the Vunapolas, I mean, you just miss so much from from that England team. And they're obviously playing Tom Curry at eight, which, like, personally, I just don't really understand. And I think they have big issues at scrum half as well. So, look, going to Twickenham is very, very tough. But I think Ireland are a good place. Yeah, they've only lost one Six Nations game uh, in Twickenham since 2012. And that was uh, the one, uh, you know, when Ireland won the Grand Slam. And I guess the, the optimism is kind of based on not so much the Ireland team. It's usually saying they've only won one game since... England have only lost one game at Twickenham oh, sorry, in the Six Nations. Me. Yeah, 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 sorry, you're talking about England. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the the optimism is kind of based on the fact that England are missing not only key players but guys who have been really important in the victories they've had over Ireland in the last mm. year. So the Aviva Stadium and in that warm game, like Billy Mako, and if Manu Turagi does play as Keane alluded to, he probably won't be 100 percent fit. And even notwithstanding that, you know, you've talked about it a lot. The Ford Farrell thing doesn't seem to be gelling quite as well over the last couple of weeks. They seem because be, it's a bad decision. Will they seem to be <laughs> they seem to be quite vulnerable though? Yeah, I think like I think he's gonna. It sounds like he wants to keep picking that team uh, that to me is a huge mistake it's interesting to hear lots of people in the English you know I think Andy Goode is quite vocal on it as well uh, I don't often agree with Goody, but uh, particularly, around, particularly it, around Brexit. Uh, no, but leaving that aside, uh, look, I think he like he's perfectly positioned to make good comments on that. He understands the game. He was a ten himself. That's a mistake picking Ford and Farrell. You can't do that. Like England, I think where England have been really, really successful over the last couple of years and when they played their best rugby is when they're dominating teams physically. I think defensively, uh, there's a big difference between uh, Farrell at 10 versus 12. I think he's susceptible to miss a few at 12 or make a few rash errors there. Uh, and it's a very difficult, it's a very different ball game playing at 12 than, than it is at 10. The tackles are different. They're more difficult. The footwork element is more difficult. Um, I think it's a mistake. Um, and I think the, it, it, it kind of the balance in the team isn't as good I think as you say the key guys uh, like again I come back to that physical element of the game all of those guys are physical specimens like they allow you to you know get go forward they allow you to pin teams back defensively uh, you know in attack they get you that extra yard or two that makes ball playing a lot more you know it, it just poses a very different problem for the defending team and it gives people that extra little bit of time to go and make plays and to put guys like Johnny May in space um, you know to put Tuilagi in front football and all of a sudden it's really hard to arrest the momentum back that's what England have built a really, really strong. And I, I think all their performances are based around that physical battle. So that's why I think, and I would agree, that they might be a little bit susceptible to, to, to maybe a big Irish performance. And this might be a little bit tighter than possibly we might have thought going into, particularly if we were comparing both squads Post World Cup. Mm. And, we're, you know, to me, that would have said, Jesus, we'll be in big trouble in Twickenham. That's a huge ask. I see chinks there. I see chinks. I still feel England will win it. But I see chinks. I think when they have the Vunapolas and they're winning that collision area, you can get Farrell more involved. But when you don't have that, it becomes in, in, you can see it how frustrated he's getting, particularly in that France game, because he's too far away from the play to be able to dictate it the way he wants to go. And I totally agree with you. I, I'm surprised they've they've kind of kept on with it. Um, you know, but it, the, the balance of the team doesn't look right to me in general. You look at. Um, playing like Tom Curry who was one of the best players at the World Cup I mean what was he 21 nominated for player of the year and moving him to number 8 it was interesting I was chatting to Victor Coslo about this yesterday and he's like you know not too impressed at all because I think 
like I've obviously never played in a scrum, but I think we probably take for granted how difficult the role is. I mean, to play number eight, it's a specialised oh, position. Um, but Sims is a specialised position too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, there's lots of other apps, I think, defensively, particularly off the scrum, off the back of line I can see Conor Murray and CJ Stander really going after Curry here um, this weekend. I mean, I think Murray has been excellent over the first two games, um, really played his way back into form. And I think he will definitely be looking to, to expose uh, Curry. Has he been? Do you think he's been really? I didn't think he had a great game against Scotland. I thought he was yeah. excellent against is, is Wales. Has it been overblown? Because I was just reading, even just reading your even player ratings after the Welsh game, and you said like that was kind of a something about the naysayers. You mentioned like you have a good memory. This would shut up the naysayers. And I was just <laughs> that thinking, must, must have struck a chord. But I, I was just thinking like I don't agree with that at all. I was like it's 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 one decent performance. But it's, I know he was he, very good. He, he was, was excellent. good. He was, he was excellent. excellent. I thought like, he was good, good against Scotland. He, he, he was, was good. He was good in the. I know it was only the Ospreys. He was good in that Ospreys game. I just think it's become like Peter O'Mahony and CJ Sanders. It's been kind of easy to kick these lads when they're down. But I don't think he's been stinking the joint out that much. I think I made the point the last time I was in here. I think when you're such a like a 9 out of 10 most weeks if you drop a loader I think it becomes much more noticeable than if you're an 8 out of 10 7 out of 10 player because the, the margins aren't as fine but um, but I, I think probably part of that though Keane just to touch on that part is there was a guy probably playing 10 out of 10 for about and for since the start of the season I totally agree and do you know I what I mean and so I that's do. probably why people are asking the question going well like is his 9 out of 10 or his 8 out of 10 better than this guy's 10 out of 10 and, and I, that's the, that like something like John Cooney looking on he was excellent when he came on for his 20 minute cameo against Scotland I thought he was excellent for the few minutes he got against Wales as well. I know it was only a few minutes, but like I think it's not I, to, to say we're kicking guys. We're down. I think it's right to ask the questions around like the personnel, particularly given in the biggest stage. You know, lots of people didn't play that well, and I think if you look at some of like I'm a, I am by the way. I, you know me, I was advocating for him to, to, to still be in the team afterwards. I thought it was tight. I thought it was a very tight selection call, but I just think. You know, kicking guys. I don't think we're kicking guys. I think we were rightfully asking questions about. Not know, necessarily talking about in this room, though. I mean, I think like yeah. you know, but just you can for see a period of time, public. I would have said like, and I saw parts of it in Connor's game, particularly against Scotland, where just nesting on the ball a little bit too long, just a little bit laboured, a little bit slow to make decisions, and you know, rest is, like I think. Like he's shown that he can play that fast-paced game, that he can be that guy, and I think like maybe he took on too much responsibility in the Joe Schmidt era. I just feel like you know he he was probably doing a little bit too much thinking sometimes, and that's a, that can be a problem for you at nine. Sometimes you're not supposed to make every single decision. You're supposed to just facilitate the team, and you know other guys are making decisions. You're just getting the ball to them. I thought, you know, the turnaround for me in that Wales game was that, was that he was just feeding. You know, he was just getting the ball into Johnny's hands, getting the ball into his forward's hands. It's on them to be in position. I thought that was the big change. And, like, the, 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 for me, I think if he wants to keep his place, I think that's what he needs to do week in, week out. We've only seen one game yeah, like I, of I guess, that. And uh, Conor Murray's performance and some of the performances of the key guys that have been good in the first two games, this weekend will be really interesting to, to really tell if they were the beneficiaries of a good hand. Let's be honest, a handy start. Two home games against Scotland and Wales. Wales Grand, never Grand, play well. Here. Grand Slam champions. No, though, no, I mean, a good team. A hundred, very yeah. good team, no I doubt. But, coaches and but stuff two home games at the Aviva yeah. where Ireland are very strong. Like, this is a proper test and we'll actually know really where the team is at after this. But I, I, you're, you're right, but I don't think anyone is getting ahead of themselves I think anyone being realistic knows that that they were two very winnable games and that was you know you you have to win your three home games in the Six Nations despite the fact that it's Andy Farrell's I don't think anyone is getting carried away by that and it is a massive task but I just think there's a lot of things I mean, we, we were coming from such a low ebb from the World Cup that, I mean, it's nice to have a few positives to be able to talk about. In England, they're having their issues. Now, the flip side of that is you can probably expect a massive backlash going to there, but I think Ireland are in a good place. 
Yeah, what do you think they have to do in terms of like the way they were manhandled in those two mm. games last year? Uh, you the know? start is huge, isn't it? Yeah. Like even you, you think back to what England did in against the All Blacks. I mean, the start is absolutely huge, but how they go about actually managing that is going to be a massive test. I think they're going to have to be a lot smarter, but also I think that without the Vunapolas, like I mentioned, it, you, they don't have that same threat. Like Tom Curry doesn't give you that explosive threat. And there's other number eights, uh, specialised number eights that he could have picked. Um, whether he goes with Ellis Gange, who was very impressive against Scotland, or Joe Marler from the start, they don't give you what Maku Vunapola has. So I don't think they have the same fear factor that they do. And we obviously mentioned Tuilagi, who knows how fit he is. Um, and I think if you had Farla 10 and Slade and Tuilagi is a much better centre partnership for Definitely. me. I think that's a, like a totally different thing. So Eddie Jones has been so stubborn that you know he wants it to be sort of my way or the highway, and I think that could play into Ireland's hands. So it's about managing the start, weathering that like inevitable storm that's going to come. Because what they did to Ireland in that Six Nations game was incredible, like the start they did, and they did it to the All Blacks as well. So, um, but they're not the same team without the Vunapolos. The key to this is going to be real accuracy. You know, they have to take some chances in some areas, but they've got to be really, really accurate against this team. I think there's probably a few areas you could hang your hat on. I think the, the ball playing amongst the forwards looks like they've, you yeah. know. They've come up with a few different options. You don't need to be unbelievably creative in there, but you do need to space it out a little bit. If you try and take this English team on in a physical battle, even without those guys, they are slightly depleted in the physical kind of attribute section, if you like, with the Vunapola brothers being out, right? So accept that, right? But they still are hugely physical. They've got some real athletes in there. If they get that defensive line, they can be really oppressive. And it's really like that, that performance last year in, in, uh, in the Aviva, it was smothering to watch. Like it, they just smothered us with the defense, got a few tries from defensive kind of, you know, from defensive pressure, I thought. So that's a key part. You need to be a little bit creative. You can't just stand there and block in and just try and, you know, you know, lump two guys into these, into, into an English defense that are kind of taking ground, taking ground, taking ground. You need to be a little bit creative there. That's one thing. I think secondly, I thought, which I thought there were some green shoots, uh, you need to be creative with the kicking game. You know, I think it's okay to spread the ball wide and kick from out uh, in the wide channels. I thought we did that really well. It was really good to see a few grubber kicks in there from the outside channels, that, you know, push the Welsh guys back into corners. That's something that you can use against this English team if you can get the ball wide. That's something they don't need to be afraid of doing that. They've got a great defensive line out as well, so they can put pressure on if they decide to put the ball out. But our defence is excellent as well. And that's probably for me, the, the, like if our defence is good, alongside maybe a few of those little changes in there, I think we could be right in this game. Mm. Like that's good. They're going to be the key battle lines, if you like, is the little bit of creativity, the kicking and the defensive pressure. Can we get pressure on those guys? If we, if we don't get pressure... I think we're in for a long day at the office. That's the advantage of having the likes of a Ford and Farrell. If they get lots of possession and work passive defensively, you know, they'll rip us apart. They will do that. They'll be able to get the ball to your Johnny Mays and these guys, to two laggy in space. They'll be able to get the ball on front foot and they'll do some serious damage to us. But if we can draw those battle lines and deliver on a few of those key areas, I think we'd be right in the game. And I think Keane's right. I think there'll be a few areas where this Ireland team will say, we're actually playing well. If they can get their tails up early in the game, you know, deliver on a few of those things, you know, I can't see why we couldn't go get a result. Absolutely. We've seen more of those playmaking passes that you were talking about. I mean, we Just saw it for Keane Ke Ke yeah. Healy, you know, for Johnny mm. Sexton try against Scotland. Tyg Furlong, I think, has been really impressive yeah. again. He looks like he's really firing again. And Leinster do that so well. It kind of doesn't really matter what numbers on your back, you know, that they're all able to play ball. And it seems like now that's being encouraged as well. And I also think the back three have been pretty impressive as well. Like, um, it's a big game for Jacob Stockdale, actually, I think. Um, 
Keith Earls was very impressive off the bench uh, against Wales. I know he played in the centre, but he looked very sharp. And like I still think that Ireland are a better team with a fit and firing Keith Earls in it. So I think it's a pretty big game for Head of Stockdale. I just think it's a big day, a big game for him. Yeah, because Andrew Conway is obviously yeah. undroppable right now. Um, and yeah, I just really like um, an Ireland team with Keith Earls in it. Yeah, it's kind of like we were talking about a few weeks ago. Stockdale seems to be one of those undroppable people as well. He has, I, like, yeah, he has. You suppose he's had that year where he scored all the tries and. Um, that's always going to people. You know, remember the the guy in the street is not going to be looking at the rest of the game. All he sees is who's scoring the tries. They just don't. How how do I put this? They just don't. No, they don't always look at what's really important in being a complete rugby player. Like you want to have fifteen people who are complete rugby players. I'd say Keith Earls is probably one of those people when he's on form, and he is on form. Uh, I would say Stockdale still has a few bits. I think I've liked a lot more of what I see of Stockdale, and I always think when I watch him. He has the potential to be like world class in every aspect. I think he's got a good kicking game. He's got the height and the speed. He's got great speed for a big guy. Got the big fend. Um, you know, I think the thing for him is going to be always going to be the defensive part. Is he going to let the team down and make bad decisions there? He'll be really tested this week. Yeah, so we Johnny will May. see. Like Johnny May is on fire. He will find space. He's become, he's a guy who Stockdale could look at and say, Jesus, like, look how good he is defensively now. Look at the positions he gets. And he's always in good positions. He's always making the right decisions, even to players around him. You know, that's something with Stockdale as well, I think. Uh, that I'm watching kind of closely enough as well. I'm watching, is he making, is he passing the ball? Is he putting other, is he thinking about all these other parts of his game rather than just dotting the ball down at the end? So look, I think it's a good, it's a good question that you pose, Keen, because Keith Earls has done it. He's been there and done it for Ireland for a very long time and he's a quality player. So, the, It'll be good to see him under a bit of pressure. Yeah, the Johnny May battle is it's just huge, as you mentioned. Huge. Yeah, and like you mentioned, his height. He doesn't use his height enough in the aerial battles for me. Look I mean, Conway. he's six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's towers over Conway, but yeah, Conway is more impressive in the air. Now, in fairness, Conway has spoken really openly about that. He said, um, when he was at Leinster, he just used to let Easton Asawa catch the ball because he just didn't want to know about high balls, like which was a fair thing to to admit. So I feel like if Stockdale can add that, like I mean, he's six, nearly six three, I think, like which is oh, he's ex- bigger than that. He's, he's incredibly player. tall. Yeah. Like so, I mean, he needs to use that more, especially because, like you said, there was a lot of clever kicks. I think in the in the last couple of games, and if Ireland are going to go down that way, well, they've they've always kind of used their kicking game anyway. I think Stockdale's need to be better in the air. Mm. Yeah, but look, he, the the thing is, it's all there for this guy. Like, mm. you know, it's whether his mindset, it's whether he's in the right place to, to grow these parts of his game and become the player that he should become. He should be one of the greats, I think. Um, he just needs to, like, I, I just feel like everyone's blowing him up all the time. Like, they need to, he needs to figure out, like, how to become the great player. And if you don't get any feedback on these things, and I'm sure he's in the set, he's probably getting the feedback in the setups, but you need to keep your feet grounded and, and grow into that great player because he has the potential to be, no doubt. And he's, this bit of Earls, I like, like seeing it because I think he's been in a comfort zone the last couple of years. Stockdale's still only 23. I mean, he's only scored one try for Ulster this season. I know it's not all about scoring tries. It's not, it's, it's really not, not. But for a guy who kind of true underage rugby and then he broke on the scene, all he knew was scoring tries. Yeah. It must play in your mind a little bit because he, he scored a try against Munster in January. Before that, he'd went uh, a full year without scoring a try for Ulster, which mm. is, you know, there are a lot of stats. I think it's six games without a try for Ireland as well. So it's a big game for him. Yeah, and like I think that what I've liked this year and why I'm a lot more positive about him, I think this year is that I've seen the growth in his defensive mm-hmm. stuff. I just feel like that's if he gets that part of his game right, he's going to be a cracker of a player for the rest of his career. So um, I that's like I haven't even been watching the tries. I promise you, I haven't. I've just been literally looking at him as a player, saying because I think those things will 
fault. You'll mm. probably come to parts in your career where the team isn't playing well. You might, you know, there mightn't be moves to get you in position. You, you know, you might be playing with someone inside you who's not getting you the ball. Like those things can happen to a winger. So, like getting the growth in the rest of your game and making good decisions all the time, making the game easier for other people on the pitch. That's what makes you a great player. And in terms of the Six Nations as a whole, like the weekend is set up really fascinatingly. Obviously, you have Ireland, England on the Sunday, you have Wales, France on the Saturday. You know, you could conceivably have a four-way tie at the top of the table at the end of the weekend. You know, in terms of the Wales-France game, like France obviously in a good position after their opening two wins, Wales less so after the defeat to Ireland, but. Uh, just as we said, Ireland going to Twickenham will be the real good gauge. Similarly for France, like we saw them start well a couple of years ago, beating England in, in the Stade de France, and then going to the Millennium, not going well, and kind of seeing their campaign peter out. I think this is a, a real good gauge for all six teams, actually, this weekend. Even the, the Italy-Scotland game, where, where these guys actually are. I think even for Wales, I mean, I thought they, I was really disappointed, actually, with, with how they were. They got such a handy run out which against Italy, which goes to show how much Ireland were battle-hardened. But, yeah, I've been really impressed with France, but uh, I'd hold fire yet on kind of saying that <laughs> they're back. Let's see how they get on this weekend. But you can, see, <laughs> you can see, though, what Sean Edwards yeah. has brought to them. And they, like, they're just flying off the line. They're discipline has been better as well which is you know something that has, has killed Surprise. him in the past Surprise Mahina's gone that's, yeah, like, yeah. that's how 10 penalties <laughs> again always helps yeah. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're, it's like it's so good to see like France playing oh. like and these young players kind of yeah. starting to fulfil their potential because with a home World Cup to come I mean I know that they're build, really building towards that but they could be a serious force but they're force. a rugby superpower yeah, like, we need yeah, them to be, of course, we need years, to be great so they won the Grand Slam in 2010 they haven't even contended <laughs> yeah, since then really. that's, that's just not good for the good for the competition it's is it the game globally no. either like France is like they've kind of been it seems to me like they've almost become kind of a little bit insular and that they're really focused on the league all the money is generated by the league yeah. but like international rugby is still the pinnacle like that is the pinnacle of rugby and to have a team like France or a country like France with all the playing numbers all the money that they have not doing it right and like making basic errors like things like not training correctly you know not managing the players correctly not enough laptops no, this, kind of, this kind of stuff is silly in this yeah. day and age like with all the like with all the resources they have we need them to be up there competing France should never be a fixture when they go away from home where you're kind of saying jeez we'll, we'll, you know if, you know, we should be beating France. Like Ireland didn't beat France was it for mm. was it sixteen years or something like that? Like fourteen, yeah, fourteen was it? Yeah, so nice, Will. Thanks, uh, thanks for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we get it right. Uh, but look, those kind of things, like that's what it used to be like, and that's yeah. based on the resources. That's what it should be like. So. Um, yeah, look. If, if they take a scalp this weekend in Cardiff, it, it is it, it'll be huge for them. It would yeah. be massive. You couldn't. It, it was similar to when, like you know, Ireland did beat France that time with O'Driscoll. You know, that was kind of the first win they've had there in so long. You know, the Fran the French record. I don't think they've actually won in Cardiff since 2010. They won mm. their last Grand Slam. That's five losses in a row. To use my fingers there. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Will. For but God's sake. But like yeah, because they they have much more of a control over their players as well. I mean, you know, they had a week off. Like the players all didn't go back to their top fourteen clubs and you know and play and then come back like after being injured and stuff. So, but this is a very different test. I mean, to, to what they faced and it's a big test for Wales as well because they need to bounce back. But yeah. you're right, it's it looks like it's going to go down to the, the final day either way. And Ireland are obviously going to to Paris in the final day, so. Fingers crossed they're going there with more than just a championship to, to play for. Yeah, in terms of Scotland and Italy as well, keen touch on it there. It'll be a good kind of measuring stick for both of them. You know, it, this is Italy's best chance of winning a game. Obviously, they haven't won a game in five years since 2015 against Scotland as well. You know, it goes without saying that they badly, badly need to finally get that monkey off their back. Oh, you can't have a team in the competition that hasn't won in five. You know, and like they need to, they, we, we need them to kick on. I, like, I just don't see where it's coming from. I know 
there has been some some positivity around the performances in in the Pro 14, but I'm just not sure how much I read into that. Like we need Italy to to not be a walkover fixture. We need that. We need them to win one or two games, you know, or be very very close in three or four games a year. Like not get blown out in three of them and maybe compete in one of them. They need one win, and this is going to be the one they're going to be targeting. Absolutely. Uh, from a Scottish perspective. Uh, they'd be disappointed with uh, Murrayfield. I know it was a tight game, uh, but the conditions were where they were horrendous. But they will be disappointed. Like it was such a tight finish, so you're always going to be disappointed in a tight finish and look back at maybe one or two opportunities that could have changed the game or one or two mistakes you made. So they'd be disappointed. And as well, we have to probably touch on the on the stuff with, with Finn Russell. Mm. Like that is definitely not. Uh, would you say it's a happy camp at the moment? Maybe though something like that brings you together. But having one of your main players or one of your, your I suppose, uh, leaders, he was in the leadership group, um, you know, to be kind of going head-to-head with the coach um, and now almost kind of outside the setup and probably banished for the foreseeable future, would have thought having done that interview. Um, like, that causes a little bit of unrest and, like... That's that's not helpful. I don't think coming into something like this, you, you could look at that one or two ways. Yeah. I would view it as something not that's not helpful. And is it the kind of thing when you are Scotland and you don't really have the marquee names like that? Finn Russell is probably is he bigger than Townsend? Like, is it better to have Finn Russell on side? Uh, like, I, I I don't know. I mean, he, he what he did like was so stupid. Like, and I'm not even talking about the interview because I like even as from a journalist's point of view, it's, it's pretty mad that that he did that. But. I mean, with the great, yeah, exactly, yeah. But by all accounts, like the way he behaved with drinking and stuff, and then not turning up to training. I mean, you can't have that in in a camp, no matter how good you are. I don't think any player is bigger than the team. Now, I think the Gregor Townsend point is almost a little bit separate because he's under huge pressure. I think anyway, but this kind of adds to it. But I don't know from what from what you hear from Scottish lads, the, the Scottish journalists. I mean, the the players don't sound like they sound like they're more on kind of Gregor Townsend's mm-hmm. side because, like, I know if I was in, I, I've been in dressing rooms, maybe not professional rugby dressing rooms, but if someone was acting like that, you're kind of like, what are you doing? Like, you know, um, and that sorry, that's the great thing about rugby. I think all the way through uh, the the ranks, uh, honestly, I, I promise you, like. I remember, like the Leinster dressing rooms I was in. If anyone came in acting like that, like or was that like the senior guys, like Shane Jennings, Leo Cullen, like Brian O'Driscoll, like Easton Asiwa, they'd be absolutely gutting you like a fish. Like, well, obviously, just, it is a senior guy, you know. Yeah, but sorry, but th- sorry, that's a, that'd be a big yeah. issue. The other senior guys would say, "Listen, yeah. that's not acceptable," you know. And they and they've like I got, I remember getting one or two from from like not uh, reprimanded as such, but in relation to, I was having some contract difficulties and I remember Leo Cullen, who was a good friend outside of the rugby as well, like hit me one between the eyes saying, that's not helpful to the dressing room. Mm. You know, and that's, that's the role. Like, that's so, you and you'd expect mm. that and people, even if you're acting the hammer, people are getting notions about themselves. Yeah. You know, rugby dressing rooms, there's very low tolerance level for that kind of stuff. And let's be fair, I mean, if you're getting notions about yourself, like I imagine like racing is just so different <laughs> to anything else. Like, like, let's call a spade a spade. Like, it's no surprise that him and Simon Zebra are kindred spirits and all yeah. this. Like, they're very much cut they're also both very nice guys I will say that but like no, as you say they kind of are a bit they're free spirited and, and they're allowed kind of do what they want um, in racing which is great like and I mean I'm all for expressing yourself but there has to be certain lines which you can't cross and by all accounts um, Greg Laidlaw was a good man for sort of keeping him on the straight and narrow and now obviously he's gone out of the setup. so maybe he did think oh you know, I'm coming back playing for one of the best teams in Europe that I am, you know, yeah. bigger than this, and I can do that. Because he did make an interesting point, though, to touch on the senior player group uh, point, that he wasn't included in the decision to do that, you know, and maybe it was a bit of a, well, like, you know, was he a bit pissed off that he was left out of, the, of having made, uh, you know, I suppose the ability to have input into making that decision. I would say just as a person, but I've met him a few times, absolute cracking bloke, right? There's no, I know no one's questioned that, right? But he's a cracking bloke, but at the same time, like, 
do you need to have a do you need to have a few beers after a game? Like I I don't know. Like it seems to me like it's probably is it? I know they've, he's had a really rough run in, in in France and that he probably had loads of games in a row. He's probably knackered. But at the same time, like oh, it's ten weeks with Scotland. It's a chance to do something great in the Six Nations. Like pff, one night or, or you know. Technically, you know, because you're never going to be drinking during the week for, you know, over a match. But it's going to be five games. It's going to be five nights where you're going to say, or probably four nights because the last night you can drink. But the, the other four nights, is it the biggest deal to not be able to have a beer? I don't know. It seemed like it was something that it was a bit silly to be having yeah. have a row over. Do you know that kind of way? It seemed like maybe there's... And, and as, it, as it turns out, there definitely was other stuff behind that. It sounds like it was a bit of a toys out of the pram scenario where he just didn't like the setup, didn't feel like he was heard, didn't feel like any, you know, respected maybe in the setup or had no relationship with the head coach as a 10. Like that's, you know, they're all things that maybe, it seems like that was more the issue than, than do you, know, do you get yeah. what I'm saying? Like it seems like it's a bit of a, uh, so, some, something's going to, odd thing something's going to have, to, something's going to have to give, but he did stop for me in the mix zone in Japan. So I'm, I think he's all right. 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 He's but like it does seem like an odd scenario to be in and it's definitely not helpful to the team and, and to come back to the original point it's a big weekend for Scotland yeah, like, because it, Italy are going to be going all it's, cylinders it's for this huge and we'll, we'll finish up now with, with some predictions we'll start with this game Like, do you think Italy can finally get that win it's in Rome I think I think it'll be I actually feel like this could be a tight one but I think Scotland will edge it I think they'll have a little bit too much quality yeah I'd go Scotland as well um I mean, I was over in Treviso a, a few weeks ago and I'd never been there before and I got kind of a, a bit of an insight into Italian rugby. I know it wasn't the national team and they're still just years behind in terms of facilities and stuff. And I know that's a real small kind of snippet, oh, but, that, big, but they're, they're the team who's kind of driving this and it, like, it was a real kind of throwback to like, you know, you felt like you were back in the 90s days going to an AIL match. Um, but anyway, that's another side point. But um, yeah, I think Scotland, Scotland to... And France, Wales, can France finally get that scalp in Cardiff and then really push towards a Grand Slam potentially? I think Wales. I think Wales. Um, Yeah, I just, I don't trust France yet. Um, I would like to think that they will, because I don't think this team have much of a fear than maybe other teams have had and they're so young and they're kind of, a lot of them are coming through Toulouse now, used to winning the likes of Dupont and Entomac. But I think Wales, I'd expect a big response, but I would by, by a point or two. Only. I think France might sneak that one. Uh, I trust Wales. To Wales are tough to beat at home. They're right? really tough. Mm. They're a different proposition away from home. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and it's it's more based on that. I think France have put up a good performance, actually. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a very tight game as well, a one-score game. Um, I think the same about that Italy-Scotland one. Um, but yeah, I think Wales at home. Okay, and then the big one, Sunday, Twickenham, Ireland, Le England. crunch. Um, <laughs> I'd say England in a one-score game as well. I just feel like Twickenham is a real tough place to go and get a win. And um, Look, it throws up the championship. It's all to play for then in the next couple of weeks. Mm. Um, I don't think it ruins Ireland's chances and it doesn't take away mm. from you know what is a few, I think, positive steps forward last week. So uh, I think England in a tight one. A losing bonus point, actually, in terms of championship prospects wouldn't be a killer blow at all, uh, Keane. Yeah, um, cautiously optimistic, but I think when it comes down to it, I mean, England, England boy, probably one score game as well. They're just so tough to beat there, but... We'll see how the week goes on and how my optimism optimism levels sort of you know waver. Like wait, like get out to the camp and get the mood and sort of buy into <laughs> buy into all the positivity. Yeah, you know, when you're ladder overlooking the train, <laughs> yeah, and we have to yeah. see if your team selection news is right as well. Yeah, it would be fairly. That'll be interesting. Like I'm yeah. excited. Like I, I I would have to say I, I feel for Deegan uh, to like. 
be tear me off the bench. The writing was on the wall, wasn't it, when he wasn't kept in the squad last mm. week? I think you know. Um, maybe he just need rugby. He hadn't had any rugby, really. Do you know? I yeah. I, I didn't really read too much into that. Um, maybe it was a head to head. I don't know. Yeah, mm. I, I thought that was interesting though. But I'd have to say, for a guy who's playing very good rugby for a long time, that'd really be a bit gutting to be off the bench. But look, either way, I'm excited to see both young guys involved. I think the old dogs have got their chances. They've got their chances, and if you give them enough, you know, you give good players enough chances to play well, they're going to play well. So um, I think he's probably missed the opportunity now to blood in new talent, which is a bit of a shame. But the guys are playing very well, and uh, hopefully they go well in the weekend. It's set up to be an absolutely cracking weekend. Keen, thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, lads. And we're now going to be joined on the line by former England full back and current Rugby United New York star Ben Foden. Ben, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> no problem. And yeah, no, delighted to have you on. Now, I did see you had a bit of bother in your opening game, the bounce of a ball off a crossbar, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> if you want to talk yeah. us through that one and we get that out of the oh, way early it's, doors. It's, it's, it's rule 101, isn't it? The fullback should never let the ball bounce. And uh, yeah, I let it bounce twice and still managed to hit the crossbar. I uh, know it was a bit of a nightmare, really, because they changed the fixture to Sam Boyd Stadium, which is like in the middle of the desert in, in Vegas. And uh, the problem with that with that stadium is it turns into like a wind tunnel, like it's a full full round stadium apart from one end which is open. So when the wind blows, it blows it like straight down. So it's like a, a you know like gale force winds. And in that opening game, the wind was an absolute nightmare. Uh, and so when they hit the high ball, like you, um, and it bounces, usually it runs off the end of the field, and that's what that one would have done. Apart from it hit the crossbar and made me look foolish. So, you know, that's the rule of a fullback down at the ball bounce. And if you do, then, you know, that's why the, the balls are an odd, odd shapes because odd bounces can happen and, and make people look stupid. And sadly, I was on the end of one of those. Ben, I completely empathise. Uh, a former back three player, mate. Um, yeah, people just don't understand. They don't understand what we go through on a, on a daily basis. Um, exactly, yeah, exactly. Listen, talk to us a little bit about the move over. I think everyone was probably, uh, well, I did think it was a little bit of a surprise for everyone that you moved over, but obviously, uh, you know, a few, a, bit, a few Irish heads over there in the uh, in the setup. Uh, what's it like over there? And obviously, Bastro as well just joined. So, yeah, um, a lot of Irish heads, a lot of Irish heads. The guy who owns the team's Irish as well so you know uh it's a big irish influenced city new york but also across the league you know um the, the main sort of thing was was for me was you know i was at the stage of my career where if i wanted to move to another premiership club i probably would have done like another two years maybe one or two years and it would have been sort of like a a senior role sort of like trying to pass on what i know to, to younger players coming through um, but for me, you know, I'd gone from Sale Sharks and moved to Northampton, done 10 years with them. And it just didn't feel right to go to another club for a couple of years and just see out my career there. So then the other option was to go to France. Um, and to be honest, I just never really fancied living in France. It wasn't really for me. If I was going to move to an abroad country, then it w would have to be somewhere that spoke English. Uh, and so then I started speaking to Alex Corbazero, a good mate of mine, teammate of mine at, uh, at Northampton, who has uh, moved back over to America because he's got an American family. Uh, and he was involved with, uh, you know, NBC and and doing the the Premiership fixtures and that sort of thing, and being an anchor for for them. And then he mentioned the MLR was sort of taking off, and that New York were having a team in the second season, and that this Irish guy James Kennedy was interested in meeting me. And you know, originally, you know, when I was married to Una, we were going to move over together with the kids, and it would be like a big adventure because the kids were still young enough, and you know, we were going to go and explore our options together. And Obviously, things didn't work out between Una and myself. And, and uh, you know, for me, it was an opportunity to just sort of get away from all that as well. 
as well as sort of like you know ignite that fire to, to you know to play rugby again do you know what i mean um sometimes when you get towards the end of the career it all becomes sort of like the same and you, you know you turn up to training and you do the same you know this the same sessions and that sort of thing and and so for me going to to america was just to go and try something completely different uh new horizons new city i'd never lived in a big city before obviously northampton's a bit of a small country town so um the opportunity you know was there to go and do something completely different and uh, taking my knowledge as well and, and trying to help um in a league where it's you know it's very new um is something that that just ignited something in me as well to sort of like go and pass on my experience but also be involved in something completely new myself was exciting for me as a rugby player and that's what I was missing from you know when you know coming towards my end of my retirement is something that sort of ignited that flame again and uh, you know, leaving aside the I suppose the personal challenges um you know in, in terms of your personal life but just focusing on the rugby side like it, it, you talk a lot about you know passing on knowledge uh, to to younger players that kind of igniting a fire are you thinking about kind of coaching roles down the line? Are you preparing yourself a little bit for that? Is that something you're kind of trying to explore and maybe, I suppose, a challenge like a, a new franchise in uh, in an American league? Is that kind of a first steps in a budding coaching career, perhaps? Yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely think so. Obviously, I want to keep my options open, but I honestly believe that the league is just going to grow and grow and get bigger and, and one day will compete with the you know, with other nations uh, and, and other leagues, uh, just because America with their sport, it, it, you know, they're, they're either in or they're out. And so far, every year they've been adding two years, we're at tw- uh, two teams, sorry, we're at 12 teams already, 14 next year and LA teams involved, you know, the big cities and uh, are getting involved and big money men behind them are getting involved. So I can't really see, you know, obviously marketing and it takes time to sort of grow the the uh you know the audiences and the figures but you know it's on tv you know there's the marketing's there you know they're in the big cities so i i can't really see rugby failing in america i think it's a great sport that people will buy onto you know they've got to get it in the schools they've got to get in the universities and once it's there i think the national team will then grow as well and compete it's already doing it on the seven circuit and you know guys like perry baker and carlin isles have made that transition from other sports into sevens you know killing it on the world circuit and and showing that america compete in this sport and so that's going to transfer over to 15s eventually and i think we'll see the the american eagles rise and be able to compete with the likes of south africa england new zealand ireland in the world stage i think once that happens the league's going to be there you know to help that grow as well and so for me you know the opportunities in america it's such a big place you know 50 states is like having 50 countries so you know being on espn being on nbc having a coaching role you know hopefully eventually playing in stadiums that you know fit 30 40,000 people in you know is the future of rugby out here and that's what excites me as well yeah, and what's the tra- travel like? I know you were in Vegas for the first two games. I think you're going to Atlanta now for a, a game, and you, obviously your home games are in New York. Like, there's a lot of travel uh, across the country, as you mentioned. It's like having yeah. 50 countries there. It must pose a, you know, a bit of a challenge as well. Well, yeah, it does. It, but it's also quite exciting as well. You know, I've always, I've always loved America. I've always wanted to see America. So, um, you know, but all the other sports in America do it anyway. You know, the baseball, they do it. They go on the road for, for weeks at a time. You know, the NFL boys, they obviously fly across and, and play in, in different states. Um, so it's all part and parcel of American, you know, sports. Um, it's a bit like playing in, in the Heineken Cup, you know, when, you know, when Munster or Leinster had a, a fixture out in, 
you know, Toulouse or Toulon or, you know, whatever you go the day before and you stay the night after sort of thing. So, you know, you go there, you do your team run, you sleep with, with the team, then you, you, you wake up in the morning, you do your match preparation, you play the game. After the game, you have a beer, you have maybe a night out and then you fly back and, and restart the next week for whatever game you've got coming up. And it's that sort of process. Obviously, in New York, it means that basically we play a lot of our away games very early on because it's very cold here in New York at the moment. So basically in you know, late February, whole of March is basically all away fixtures. Uh, our first home fixture is sort of, I think it's end of March, we play our first home game. Um, so, yeah, we've got to wait for the weather to, to stop snowing and being freezing for it to turn up a bit. But that's the way it is in most places anyway. So, you know, we go away to, you know, Austin, um, Utah, you get up to Seattle and stuff where it isn't too cold at the start of the season and then um, and then play our home fixtures towards when it gets a little bit warmer. Yeah, Luke mentioned obviously, you know, bringing in Matthew Bastro as well was kind of a big eye-catching signing and I saw that he was moved into the pack for, for week two already and he kept a bit of, bit of beat closer to, to the action. If anyone could do it in fairness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he's, he's come over a big unit. Um, uh, but, but what's happened with us, you know, one of the problems that we do face in the American League is visas and we, we had a few Irish boys and a Kiwi guy who were hopefully coming over to join the team and the visas got denied. So we've we got a bit light in the back row, had a few injuries at the weekend as well. So Bastro, he'd been playing a bit of number eight for Leon and put his hand up and said he didn't mind going in there. You know, I think it's all very new for Bastro at the moment. I think he's a bit flabbergasted by the whole thing, you know, training in a, in a college and, and then suddenly, you know, jumping on a plane to Vegas and, and playing in that wind tunnel and stuff to, you know, it's all new to him. But, you know, hopefully he's enjoying the experience of being in New York because that's what it's all about as well. You know, it's a great city and, and coming here, you know, the opportunities that surround rugby here are massive. And, you know, he's doing a TV show for Channel, uh, Canal Plus that was shown the last, you know, last year of him. Uh playing rugby in Toulon and then also going on the Barbarians tour and then his transition over to America so he's got a few things going on for him that he's, that he's got plenty on his plate yeah look it sounds like a re- you know look I suppose like the States the team kind of nearly mirrors that from from what I gather uh, just from talking to, to a few of the guys who are already there like there's a real multicultural feel about it is it does that is that I always feel like when I look at those teams there's kind of they go two ways like you know sometimes they can kind of be distant you might have language barriers etc etc um, but from what I gather, it sounds like everyone's really mixing in well and really kind of, I suppose it's a great place to experience the culture together. It, it, like, is it a tight knit unit there? It, it is, it is. And that's one thing I've really enjoyed is that, you know, the sort of like, you can, you can get lost in New York very much, very easy. So, so when you come to New York, it's very good to have that core base of friends. And, you know, it was one thing I was worried about moving out here, what the people would be like, would it be clicky? Would people be, you know, work focused? Would they be, you know, would it be still, would rugby be their second priority and that sort of thing? And it is, the culture is awesome. They built a really good culture. Um, you know, what they've done is you know, this Irish guys here, but there's, you know, American guys, guys in the team that are from America, from Brooklyn, from a around new york area you know the guy at the a guy at the weekend called julio's from colombia he's got his green card now uh, and when i met him you know he was you know in awe he was sort of saying like oh you're a hero back from where i am uh you know and I, you know i didn't even know there was a big rugby culture in colombia and you know he scored at the weekend and i could see how much it meant to him he was like nearly in tears and he messaged me saying like oh thanks for sharing that experience with me and, and just like things like that make me you know still want to play the game because uh, just the hunger in his eyes and, and you know, the delight at him scoring uh, and what it meant to him to be out there with me and the likes of Bastro is awesome. And that's what I play the game for. And this guy's, you know, a young guy, he's 23, 24 years old from Colombia, 
you know, and hopefully he'll go on to play for Colombia and play for New York and, and, and we'll have more things to celebrate across the years. A massive Ben Fowden fan club in Colombia, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? It must, Who knew? Be the, it must be the singing. It couldn't be the rugby, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Well, look, I think it is. I mean, it sounds like a really exciting setup. I mean, if you look at it to me on the outside, you know, judging it, I always think, you know, the contact in rugby, uh, you know, things like that will really appeal to an American audience. And if you look as well, at the MLS, I think, is probably, to me, probably the template for how you build a sport like this in America. Is that something like, have you talked to say to, to any of the other owners or to anyone who's involved in the team about like how they're kind of modeling this? Like, what's the, how do they intend to grow it? You are exactly right. That is exactly the template they're going off. They're using the ML, uh, MLS. They know that it's going to take eight to ten years to sort of bring in the crowds. Um, obviously, with football, there's probably a lot more you know, money and it's easier to sort of get it into the schools and scholarships and that sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's always going to be a little, you know, one or two steps behind football, soccer, I should say, as football over here means a completely different thing. But it's getting there. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's following that template, being patient, you know, working with schools, uh, you know, get, getting community outreach programs, sort of like trying to spread the word of rugby that, it, that the sport does exist in America and people can get involved, whether it's schools or in local clubs. You know, there's local clubs in New York. So when some of the, so the, the, the really nice thing about the league is it runs for six months and it'll never be any bigger or any smaller because that's how American sport runs. You have six months to play your games and then six months is the off-season. And that's for baseball, basketball, football, American football. That's the, that's the way it runs. So it's, it's nice as a professional athlete to have that time off. But it also means that the guys who are playing for Rugby United New York... They're, they've got six months to go and sort of harness their skills and they go and play for like Old Blue or Nyack, who are two you know, local teams in, in the New York area who play other teams as well. So there is an amateur level of rugby that, that does sit in New York, which is great for, you know, for, the, for the guys who are sort of like trying to, you know, 18, 19 year olds who come out of school or, or go to university to play at the weekend. If their schools don't play rugby, it means they can go and play for Nyack or Old Blue and, and, and get that experience of playing rugby in America. And let's listen. Just to transition back to to maybe a little bit uh, closer to home around Six Nations and <coughs> maybe England, and just get a view from you around. I suppose the Eddie Jones setup and the Eddie Jones era. I mean, to me, he looks like a serious operator. He's been successful pretty much wherever he's gone. Um, yeah. What's your view around that? I mean, the World Cup probably is a good place to start, and, and the campaign there. I mean, obviously, it would have been disappointing. But what did you think about it? Um, yeah, I, you know, I thought England held themselves very well. I think that we're very lucky, though, at the moment. Uh, you know, Eddie Jones is very lucky. Well, he's not lucky, but he's he's been very intelligent as well, that he's blooded young players and he has a very good pool of talent. You know, I think that England, you know, is spinning up some really quality players at the moment. Um, you know, a lot of teams have trusted their youth departments and their young guys coming through. I think you can see that with with the likes of you know George Furbank being involved with the England setup, uh, Alex Moon, uh, Lewis Ludlam, the guys from the Northampton camp, guys that I knew who um, you know who have made leaps and bounds in the last you know one or two seasons, and suddenly they're on the England fold. Um, and Eddie Jones has, has has been good to the clubs that have you know been playing well and rewarded players that have been playing well. So he he's always from what you know i only spoke to him for a little bit i never really went into camp when eddie was in in charge but from what i'm told he he always likes to keep everyone on their toes he, he, you know no one's safe in the england fold it doesn't matter who you are um you know how many caps you've got and how vital you think you are to the team he he is willing to make the hard choices and the choices that will make people in omanar um you know which which sometimes can unsettle the camp but it also 
you know, makes people want to work hard. You know, I think that's the main thing. Um, you know, you've got to work hard all the time if you're going to stick your place in this England team. You've got to be willing to 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 put that little bit more effort in than the usual. And I think that that makes you know, elite players, um, you know, the likes of Owen Farrell, the likes of George Ford, who who literally eat and sleep, you know, Sexton's the same with, with Ireland. You know, these guys who really eat, sleep and uh, breathe rugby, it's massive for them on an international stage. So uh, Eddie Jones is, is a, you know, he works them hard, but for a reason. I think he gets the results that he's after. Yeah, I guess, Ben, it's, it's a bit surprising then, you know, given what you're saying there, that there does seem to be a little bit of negativity around the camp at the moment since, you know, obviously the World Cup final, losing to France. You know, now there's a couple of injuries that both Vinopolis will be unavailable for the game against Ireland. Uh, there's yeah. kind of question marks about number at number eight. He's trying Tom Curry there as well. Uh, it's funny how quickly things can change. So they were riding so high after beating the All Blacks in that World Cup semi-final. <laughs> and now already it looks like people are starting, like, you know, Kieran Bracken was calling for Eddie Jones's head after after the France game? Well, I think that people need to sort of sit back and, and, and realise what England's long-term goal is. Is it, to, is it to win the Six Nations straight after a World Cup or is it to sort of, you know, blood some more young players and look at the future of, of, of the team that we want to put out in, in the World Cup in 2023, is it? Or, yeah, 2023. You know, I think that that's what you have to look at. Um, you know, as a instant England fan yes you want to win games yes you want to win the Six Nations but if you are Eddie Jones or if you are involved in the RFU I think the the long-term thing is is getting a team that's ready you know we've got a lot of young players we've got some experienced players some guys who are going to you know fade out before the next World Cup but it's getting a squad that's going to be ready to sort of compete with the likes of New Zealand South Africa Ireland in a World Cup in, in another three years time um so you know, for me, what he's doing is is quite clever. He, he's he's trying new combinations. He's trying new centre partnerships. He's trying, uh, you know, new back rows. He's got Lewis Ludlam. He's got Tom Curry. He's got Underhill. He's a young guy. He's twenty three, twenty two years old. Um, and you know, they they you know, if you can find a combination with those three guys where one can play at eight, obviously Billy will come back into the fold because he's still quite young. But you know, you've got to find replacements for these guys. Yes, I think that obviously there's. Alex Domberan and obviously Simmons as well, who are playing very well, who are out and out number eight, um, who, who, you know, probably will feature. I think they definitely will feature at some point over the next couple of years if they keep their run of form up. But I think what Eddie does is he's just using his time wisely. You know, I think that um, uh, he, he'll have a good, from what I understand, his, his line of communication is always good, whether it's, with, it's with, the, with the players, with the guys at the RFU, and you know he'll have his goals expressed where he's trying to take the team. And obviously, you know, France did it. France gutted their whole team, picked youth, picked guys who are on form, and you know it's always a tough place to go and win anyway in Paris. You know, you never know which French team's going to turn up, and they did play very well that day against a, an English team that were trying new combinations and didn't quite, you know, picked up an early injury with Manu. Um, and so, you know, I think that people are always quick to judge. But um, you know, we we got a good win away at Murrayfield. It's always a tough place to win as well. Now they've got a couple of home games to sort of see the end of the competition off, and we'll see where England fare at the end. Yeah, I guess from an Irish perspective, it's kind of a new era as well. You know, a new coaching staff. Andy Farrell is a head coach, and you live an interesting perspective, I guess, into a lot of the coaches around there having played under them at England. You know, Mike Cat as well is someone who I think Irish fans are very intrigued to see what he brings to the attack because it's probably an area where the team has been criticised a bit. Like, what can you tell mm -hmm. tell us about what what he's good at, what his strengths are, or what you think he might try to do with <clears throat> Ireland? Well, again, I you know these guys. I, yeah, I've been underneath. 
both Caddy and and Faz, and they are diligent. You know, they literally, you know, watch film constantly. They're always looking to get better. They're always looking for weaknesses in teams. They're always looking to work on strengths and weaknesses within their team. Um, and you know, I, I, they're, they're going to do great things. And obviously, working underneath Schmidt before he left is 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 vital. Uh, you know, they're always learning, and so. Like, you know, Ireland have always been strong. They always have good young players coming through. Um, you know, obviously, when you lose someone like Sexton for a game, then everyone ums and ahs, like, who's the next guy covering for him? But they always manage to sort of find someone. And, you know, there's Carberry, there's 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 all kinds of players who are queuing up to sort of take that position as well. Um, but it's about, for me, um, Andy Farrell was, was sort of like, you know, very tactical minded he was always you know talking to his his chiefs on the field whether it's your scrum halves your fly halves on, on where to play the game you know defensively the mindset of the team um you know they'll do good things you know mike cat you know he's got massive massive experience you know going right to the end obviously the the win in 2003 in the world cup he knows what it's like to play on the biggest stage and and deliver and um you know that experience you know they know the caliber of players they're getting when when they go into the Irish fold, and 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 they want to try and help Ireland, you know, win the next World Cup. That'll be their main goal as well. They want to stick their job for the next four years, you know, find some secret talent that that's still out there for Ireland, and uh, you know, the next weapon that's going to help them hopefully bring home some silverware, whether it's in the Six Nations this year, next year. But it all all. All, I'm telling you, all coaches, all all the coaching staff's minds will already be turned to the next World Cup, and it's all about getting their squad of players, you know, a, th- a group of 35 players who can who can deliver that William Webb Ellis Trophy. Uh, look, it's really interesting to hear an English perspective because I think you guys always perform really, really well at World Cups. You know, of great history, obviously, have won one. And that's interesting to hear you kind of talking about transitioning and preparing for 2023 by blooding a few young guys in. So that's it. We might touch on that in a moment again. But just mm-hmm. to touch back on the English situation at the moment and maybe something that's been in the news over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure people are sick about talking about it, but it would be good to get, an, you know, I suppose you'd have great insight on this, having played in a Northampton team that was, well, hopefully you do, um, you know, having played in a Northampton team that was kind of so close on a few occasions. The Saracen situation. Talk to us yeah. a little bit about that and maybe the impact that might have on the English squad and maybe <sighs> maybe just even a view around, you know, because you guys would have been competing directly with them over the last couple of years. Yeah. What's yeah. your, what? how do you feel about that? Obviously, like, it's a bit... Um, to be honest, I always sort of knew in the back of my head that it was going on because it didn't at all. You know, you, yeah, if you look at the if you look at the caliber of players that they had, you know, the rumours about you know the trips that they used to go on and and uh, as a team and the culture that they had and and you know it just didn't add up for me. You know, the maths never added up. It, you, you, how can you have a team that has you know Liam Williams, Alex Good, Elliot Daly? you know, uh, Sean Maitland in your back three, you know, as well as having, you know, um, Mako, Jamie George, Itoji, Cruz, you know, the, the, the list goes on. They have, they could put out, you know, two separate 15s that were sort of international standard players, you know, and you, you, you know the value of each player in each position and there's no way the maths have ever added up. So it was always in the back of your mind, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, that's what Saracens, you know, were known for. Obviously, it's frustrating looking back now as we, you know, you, you do, especially Exeter, probably the ones who feel the most, Rob, because, uh, the, you know, the championships finals that they played in are the ones that they, you know, really did breach the salary cap. Um, for us at Northampton, obviously, you can only just sort of go about your jobs. It's, it's annoying. And I think that, 
you know, fans will be annoyed and, you know, directors of rugby and owners will be annoyed more so than the players because, you know, at the end of the day, there's 15 guys on the field against 15 guys and that's never going to change. It's not like they cheated that. Obviously, the, the money thing comes into it. But um, uh, for players, it'll be frustrating. But I think in an England camp, it will... You know, there'll be a few jokes thrown around, but they're there for another job. You know, they want to be in the teams with the Marrows and Togis. They want Billy Vonapola in the team. They want Mako and Owen Farrell because they are world-class players. Um, you know, and I think the, the the biggest guys who are going to sort of like take a hit from that are probably guys like Owen Farrell, where he, his mind sort of will be thinking, oh God, where am I going to be playing next year? You know, I want to play for England. I want to play in a Lions tour. Um, you know, is my future at Saracens or if they go down, where does he go for the year? Because if he goes off to France for a year, you know, can he play for England still under the rules that Eddie Jones runs the team by? You know, they're, I think they're the guys who are going to suffer the most, the guys who are really in the thick of it. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe that's why Owen Farrell hasn't been playing that well so far for England because he, he has other things on his mind. You know, you have to ask the questions like that. Um, but, you know, it's been dealt with. Um, you know, probably a little bit later than it should have. It's an eye opener for other teams as well. You know, say you know, RFU saying that you know it won't be, it won't be tolerated, uh, and maybe it's a good thing moving forward for for all English teams. But um, you know, I think the guys who are going to suffer the most are the guys who are directly involved in Saracens themselves. Yeah, but we might get a prediction on Ireland England in just a minute. But first, before I let you go, since I have the two of you guys here, get your uh, thoughts on one of those famous games in the history oh, of European rugby. We have to come to that. Leinster this versus, wasn't pre-planned, Ben. Leinster Honestly, this North wasn't Hampton. pre-planned. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we often hear about, you know, the famous speech Johnny Sexton gave at halftime to fire up the Leinster team. Like, what, what were you guys thinking? Were you guys what was your halftime speech? It must have been terrible. The champagne was being popped over. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I always say, I always say that it was my, one of my favourite seasons playing for Northampton was that season and we didn't win any silverware that year <clears throat> and one of my favorite games was actually playing in that in that fixture against Leicester obviously we didn't win but I think for what we achieved as a team that season you know we didn't really have any superstars we were just sort of like very hungry we worked hard we all knew our roles and we you know we went unbeaten in that competition till you know till the last 40 minutes or probably like the last 20 minutes when when Johnny turned it on and you boys uh, carved us open but you know like you said you know the 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 famous halftime speech by Johnny. Our halftime speech because Dylan had just scored. You were a try popping right champagne the in there, weren't you? Don't lie. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we had the trophy and we're running out the back door with it. Um, but literally in the change rooms, we looked at Dylan Hartley and he had the the biggest bruise on his head. His his head he had like a five head because his forehead had swollen a couple of inches. Uh, and he looked a bit dazed and confused. And we looked at our preps, Brian Mujati and Sawtongawea, and they did eighty minutes most weeks, and they were knackered. And it was sort of, sort of a bit of a realization that we. We're going to run on fumes in the second half. And you just know, you know, when it gets like quicksand, when you make a mistake and then suddenly another mistake on that one, and then suddenly they do something and, you know, Johnny runs around, saw Tonga Weir, and I dropped a ball from Dowson, throwing the ball in from a quick line out, and we have a scrum and you win the penalty and kick the three points. And suddenly, you know, the 20, whatever, three, six lead was was down to sort of like seven or eight points. And, and you know that, you know, the Leinster team that we're facing can sort of, you know, rip that apart in a, in a couple of minutes and there were still 20 minutes to play. So uh, it was a very surreal moment for me as a rugby player, but I was really proud of the team, the way we played. I can remember when, you know, the final whistle went and, uh, you know, all our lads sort of dropped to the floor and, and, and the Leinster boys were all running around celebrating together. And, it, you know, me and Dylan made a point to get everyone together just to sort of be, you know, together as a team because, 
you know those are the sort of it literally is one of my favorite memories because the, the, we from that from that squad we sort of went on to build up and then f- finally won the premiership like the two seasons later from that so <clears throat> from from those dark moments you know uh, come greatness so uh, although it wasn't quite our time to win the high noon cup you know we won our first premiership two years later the first premiership the northampton ever won and i think that that fixture and and that moment was was one of the key ingredients yeah i couldn't agree with you more like you know leinster are obviously in a position now where you know i'd say people are probably like i, I when i started off leinster were always those kind of perennial losers or runners up or whatever you like to call them and couldn't mm-hmm. get over the line but it does take a few of those moments and leinster had their moments in 2006 against Munster um, you know playing unbelievable rugby throughout the whole competition come up against Munster in our home patch in Lansdowne Road the place was covered in Munster supporters and they beat us mm. out the gate I think it was 30 points to 6 but that was kind of our moment and I assume it was interesting to hear you talk about that there like look what a great game as you say Look, obviously we have super memories in Leinster about about getting the win, yeah. but it was a cracker of a match. Like hard to it explain really was, to people. Yeah. Like I mean, the first half, like we were absolutely shell shocked. You know, <laughs> it's always amazing to hear like the best player I ever play with, and probably you know one of our, Ireland's definitely best ever player, like Brian O'Driscoll, talk about his first half. Like Big Ben ran true for a try, oh, didn't he? he did, he did, off a scrum. Yeah, yeah, one-on-one, just beat him. Like, you know, Trico always like an unbelievable defender. But look, I suppose, uh, unbelievable game. Like, what a yeah. game to have been a part of, even. It's, and it's, know, and yeah. it's great to hear you say that it's still one of your favourite memories, even though it was obviously yeah. a hurtful one as well, you know? Yeah, well, as well, you know, I think as, as, a, as a neutral spectator, that is a cracker of a game to watch. Do you know what I mean? Like, big names on the biggest, uh, you know, stadium, Biggest occasion, uh, the, the the team that's sort of a favourites. You know, not you know, not, we were a good team, Northampton, but I think Le- you know, Leinster were the ones that everyone were looking at to win the competition. And out the gate, we sort of blew you guys away, and then for suddenly to turn around uh, at half time, come back out firing, and and sort of blow us away in the second half to win. You know, that's what sports all about, isn't it? And and you talk about the halftime speech from Johnny Sexton and the performance that he put in, and you know, Drico saying, you know he had a horrible first half, but then he scores a try to sort of like rally the troops and sort of thing in the second half. That's what sports is about. That's what it's all about, you know, and uh, as a neutral spectator, I think, you know, that's what, that's what everyone wants to see as a Northampton spectator, obviously a bit disappointing, but uh, it was a great occasion. And yeah, like you said, and you know, you have different memories from me, obviously yours are of success, but, but (laughs) yeah, but um, yeah, like I say, I wouldn't change for the world. You know, it's one of my favorite rugby memories and uh, you know, like I said, it's the catalyst for us to go and do, to do great things. Yeah. I wouldn't say that Northampton team didn't have any big names. I heard you're very popular in Colombia. So that was one one, one person. The Colombian fan club. Listen. That was before, that was before uh, the team came. <laughs> I would say the shirt off might have helped there. Um, <laughs> listen, just a quick one before we go, because I think uh, I just want to say a big thank you for coming on the show. I know it was a bit last minute. And it was to our friend uh, Cahill Marsh. What a great <laughs> yeah, character Marsh is. Um, He's a good player as well. He's a great player. Great player. Yeah, yeah. How does he like his new nickname, the Red Dragon? Is he was he oh, happy enough with that? Exactly. Look, thanks a million for coming on. Uh, lucky enough to play against you a few times. Cracker of a player. Great to hear that things are going well. Obviously, a few ups and downs this year in the personal life and that, but great to hear you've found your feet and things are going well in New York. We wish you the very best going forward. Thanks very much for coming on, Ben. Cheers, Ben. No problem. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Bye, bye, bye. Take care. Bye, bye. And that's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing in association with Land Rover. We will be back next week to review Ireland versus England and all the Six Nations action. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye. 
The Left Wing Podcast in association with Land Rover. Whether you're headed to a match or a weekend away, there's plenty of space for your team and their gear in the new Discovery Sport. 